Talking about a near-death situation can be a little vague. Does it mean you're totally uninjured but could have died, or do you have to have flatlined for it to count? The threshold seems unknown, so I invited an expert to explain his many near-death experiences. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Chris Jankulovsky. Chris has had eight near-death experiences. Let that sink in for a moment. Now that you've processed it, he was also told he had less than a decade to live over 30 years ago. It's rough stuff, right? This has just become the new norm for Chris, as even now, doctors tell him he has a couple years left at best. He's here today to discuss his many brushes with death, the lessons he's learned along the way, and why things are never as dark as they might seem. A short show note before we get started, if you haven't noticed, I've recently dropped back to one episode a week. I actually prefer the other release schedule, even with how busy it keeps me, but it has just been very difficult to get new and interesting guests in lately. I'm also diverting some energy over to some of the numerous other projects I'm involved with in the meantime, so hopefully I can start announcing more of those things soon. Until then, if you listen to the show and think you have an interesting job or hobby, hit me up at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com and let's see about getting you onto the show. I always enjoy interviews with listeners no matter the topic, and they usually end up being some of my favorites. For now, let's not die. Welcome to the show, Chris Jankolovsky. Thanks for having me on your show, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on here. Why don't you give a little introduction of who you are for the audience? Sure. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an Australian guy that's living between Sydney and LA. Uh, I mean, I'm a new author. I'm a businessman. And, uh, and I'm also a survivor of multiple near-death battles, uh, eight in total over 50 years. Can you believe it? Eight. And of which four have been utterly, utterly brutal. So uh, I've written a book called Near-Death Lessons, uh, An Extraordinary Life Gained from Eight Near-Death Experiences. And I want to share lessons gained from uh, bouncing back time and time again from incredible setbacks and from uh, lessons gained by always confronting your mortality. Because some of the adversities I've bounced back from have been brutal, like emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally shattered. And to rebuild one's life from that, where you'd rather be dead coming from that adversity than carry on, but then to still carry on and then succeed and live your best life time and time again. <laughs> and you're always going through this process of reevaluating what you hold true because now you're back. Oh, but you're almost dead. Oh, no, but you're back. Oh, but you're, but, but you're back. Oh, no, I thought I'm going to miss my sons. No, but I'm back. So I'm always back and I'm always having to reevaluate, well, what is truly most important in my life? What is truly, I'm here. What, what do I, I can't just live my life 
carefree anymore. I, I, I'm here and I can't take what's happened to me for granted. Second chances are hard to come by and I've had eight. So I am spiritually obligated to want to serve and contribute and share many of the distinctions to help people make a transition from a victim mindset or self or, or disempowered mindset to a self-empowered mindset, how to live a more deliberate life, how to be, how to optimize their time here on earth, how to really embrace their true core power. We all have it. And uh, so th that's going to be my mission. And you had said, you know, I've been through eight of these near-death experiences. The funniest part of that is you're like, yeah, four of them were pretty brutal. Because most people don't have like one, you know, they have one near-death experience sometimes. And you're like, yeah, four of them were pretty bad. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah, look, look the other four, well, yeah, yeah, I, look, at 21, I, I almost drowned. Like, I, you know, I was caught in a rip and uh, I'm in a whitewash. I put my head up, I'm a big wave, put me under, I'm spinning. I put up, big wave. I did that like, I don't know how many times, but I... I was in this wash. I couldn't get out. I didn't know where up and down was. I was completely disorientated. And then that was it. I couldn't hold my breath anymore. And I went underwater. And then all of a sudden, I, I was age 21. All of a sudden, I, was, I went into this super relaxed state. And I, I saw my life flash before me from 21, all these important moments in my life, people, all the way down to a toddler. And then I found myself, my head popped out of the water somehow, and I was just swimming. And I didn't know my disorientation had me finally swimming out of the rip and I found myself eventually in shore. And then me and my mates were on holiday at that time. And I, and that evening I was, I was having a laugh with my friends over a beer about, hey man, I almost nearly drowned. So. <laughs> and that is a bounce back because a lot of people are like, I'm going to go home for about a week. And uh, I think I'm going to stay in bed. I don't, I don't think I want to do anything until I, I just process the near drowning I had. But that, that was an experience, but I found it more of an opportunity to have a laugh. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you're younger. But until uh, the first serious non-self-inflicted one came about, uh, and that was at the age of 32 when a brain tumor almost burst in my head and uh, it was five centimeters big. I had to contour my body to go to the toilet and the doctors were like, Chris, we found the reason for this, um, this, this headaches that you've been having for the last two weeks. Today's Tuesday. We're going to have you operated on Thursday next week because we can't find a doctor that can operate on you any sooner. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait a second. I'm having a brain operation. I mean, someone's going to enter my personal space, my head. Are you for real? Who the hell has brain operations? What? I'm having a brain operation. Yeah, I was freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you had like, you know, you mentioned having a near-death experience at 21. That wasn't even your first one either. No. no. So the first one was at seven when an appendix burst in my, in, in my belly, obviously. And uh, I found myself in hospital for uh, two weeks and uh, they almost lost me there. And then the next one was the 21. And then the next one was the 25. When I woke up from an eye surgery, I'm in the surgery to have an eye surgery. And I woke up in the surgery, the biggest nightmare. And I feel the people, the, doc, the doctor's needles sliding on my eye like an egg and then poking in. Oh, and I'm clamped. I hear the music. I hear the doctors talking. They've got a radio in the background. And they must have felt, uh, they must have seen my heart race and, 
And uh, they just overdosed me, basically. And so when I got out of that surgery, I flatlined. And I remember having that thing on my finger and I couldn't move. And I just noticed that, hang on, it's still on my finger. Why is this machine flatlining? And then everything went white. And then I had this kind of out-of-body experience. And I'm there going, hey, hang on a minute. I can feel I'm in a different time dimension, mate. I'm going, hang on a minute. I ain't going anywhere. It's my sister's wedding. And that was, uh, that was, that was pretty much the third. And then the brain operation that I mentioned was the fourth. And then a kidney cancer battle to remove the right kidney, the fifth. Then another kidney cancer battle to remove all tumors. Sticks that didn't spread and killed kidney cancers is what spread, killed my father. So I, I took on these battles and I survived them. Yeah, and then a second brain operation with a tumor burst, uh, leaving me with eight months learning how to walk and talk again. And then another six cancers in my remaining left kidney now, half kidney. So multiple battles, mate. And it seems like that all kind of hit a, a rapid acceleration too, like. This is an unusual amount of experiences for any person. And yeah, like, uh, I mean, just an amount to, I can't even imagine a process where you're like, yeah, you know, I just had one last year and now I have another one coming up in another year. Like, did you, did it make the later ones easier having the first ones or has every single one of these just been like, the new most extreme thing no uh the brain operation or the second one with the tumor bursting that was the real extreme one um i mean there were others were extreme but that one was brutal because 60 percent of people die on the operating table when that happens and i'm one of the lucky 40 percent that survived it but i was in a five-day in a coma after that operation and um I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody on my left who I don't know. My father passed away four months earlier and he was on my right. And I was there having a conversation about returning back to my body. Uh, that was brutal. But all these battles, I don't have anxiety anymore about these battles because these battles are outside of my control. I have a hereditary condition that forms cysts and tumors in all my major organs. It's just how it is. So I've came to terms with my mortality and I and I am okay with the fact that okay I'm living this life and I'm my life is ahead of me, always full of battles that I have to come back from. What other choice have I? Well, am I going to live my life as a victim all my life of my hereditary condition? Am I going to live a life as a victim of all my circumstances that occur in my life? So I was running a real estate portal. I spent millions of dollars. I had 14,000 brokers listing with me. I had the most amount of listings in the Philippines on this business while I run another business as well, employing thousands of people. And I, I had to confront this brain operation. So that business, I had, to, I had to kill it because I didn't have time to sell it. I didn't have time to do anything. I had to confront my mortality. Mortality is a fascinating thing because it eliminates all the not important shit and brings you to the core of what's really most true truly important and so i i believe that we should all embrace our mortality not be afraid of it embrace it because it brings you to one of a few places one if you embrace your mortality it brings forward all your decision like i'm not going to procrastinate anymore i don't procrastinate anymore because i don't have time 
I'm always uncertain about if I'm going to even be alive next year. So who the hell has time to procrastinate if you're going to be dead next year? So death helps us bring our decisions forward. It also helps us, it, well, it certainly helped me realize that I don't have time to be down and out. I don't have time to be insecure or doubtful or um, anxiety with shit. I mean, it's just, I recognize that it's, in my case, it was self-perpetuating brain patterns running. And I was like, I'm not, I don't have time to entertain this anymore. I've only got one more year to live. Oh, I'm lucky to be alive. Again, second chances are hard to come by. Uh, and I've had so many and I'm back and here I am. So it's been an incredibly empowering moment for me because most people set, step back after these adversities. I seem to keep wanting to press that accelerator of life even harder after every one of my battles. Yeah. And I think that's a very valuable mindset to have, like you said, you know, to not fall into this victim mentality because so many people get like, you know, the one bad news, which I guess like is big for, for most of us, but for you, you're like, oh yeah, this one more bad thing. But so many people get that one where they're like, oh, you have cancer or you have this amount of time left to live. And a lot of people just kind of curl in on themselves. Like they, they yeah. withdraw from everything and they stop doing what they want to do. Was there was it just like the sheer amount of experiences that kept pushing you forward or how did you find that mindset? It was my first brain tumor operation. Uh, before that moment, I was a victim of my hereditary condition. I was running away from life's problems. I was running away from this diagnosis at 19. I was told I'll be dead by 30. And I, I, I did what any other 19 year old would do who doesn't have answers and doesn't know what to do. I simply said to myself, if I really, really pretend that I never ever received this diagnosis, that it might disappear, it might go away. That wasn't a good strategy. Uh, that almost killed me. But that's what I did because I didn't know how to take that life problem on. And that not taking a lot, one of life challenges on, if you're running away from one of your life problems, you're running away from a lot of other life problems. You might not recognize it. Because when you run away from one of life's problems, you are in, you are disempowering yourself. Life is here to grow us, to teach us, to help us become the best, incredible versions of ourselves. And that doesn't happen when we are victim all the time of circumstances. That doesn't happen when we are not embracing our true core power. So for me, when when I had my first brain tumor diagnosis, and I was told at a clinic that look, you're going to be operated on like next Thursday. That was the, you know, uh, that was, uh, so I got diagnosed at 19. I ignored it till that brain tumor happened. But that was before that, they told me, you know, you got to get yearly scans. You got to, I did none of it. And so this, when I, when the tumor finally came, it was actually a relief because you know what? This is really happening to me. I don't have to doubt this anymore. I don't have to question that. I really have this hereditary condition. And you know, I looked at the sky and I said, God, kill me if you want. I've had enough. I've had enough of living that way. I've had enough of living this disempowered life. I, I don't know whether I'm going to be in a wheelchair. And I really don't. I don't know if I can move again, talk again. I don't know how long I'm going to live after this. I don't care. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to make the most of life. I'm not living like that anymore. I know that. So I know that I don't want, I don't want to live like that anymore. So I'd rather just choose life, focus 
on being this self-empowered individual. I'm no longer going to limit myself like this. Part of that. And, and when I did that, not, that, that was this epic moment. So it was a brain tumor that forced me to transition. And I couldn't believe after that moment, I went on a journey of discovery and how much, you know, I, and I was shocked at how much I was limiting myself before I even began anything because it became such a dominant position. You know, a, 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 basically it was a bargain to, to God and say, hey, I ain't living like that. And and I remember I ran a race three weeks after my first brain operation, so I couldn't turn my head, man. I couldn't turn my head. I hadn't practiced. So I run this 10-kilometer 10, 10 fun run race. I don't know how many miles that is. And my record was 65 minutes, but I trained for it. And now here I am two years later. I just had a brain operation. can't turn my head. I'm pissing out blood because my kidneys are both riddled with cancer. And, and there I am running this race. And I ran it, and I see the finishing line, 58 minutes and 22 seconds. Like, what the? So two years earlier, I did it in 65 minutes, and here I am now with all the excuses in the world. But because I've just had this brain operation, I've got this whole new zeal in life and this embrace this new attitude of gratitude of, you know, holy, I just had a second chance in life. I can't believe how much I ran. And that's that run also was a pivotal moment in my life to go, question everything before I start. Like, really? How much am I embracing this next quest with self-empowerment? If we're going to go do anything in our lives, let's not do it as a victim. Let's not do it as this doubtful, insecure person. Why not embrace what you want to do in life with confidence, with empowerment, with personal power? And that can only happen when we've got clarity with our true desires. That can only happen if we've, got, if we've got clear intentions with what we set out to do and embrace that wholeheartedly without this fear of failure and or doubts and judgments and everything else. Who cares, man? You're going to be dead maybe next year. Who? I don't care how I'm being judged. I don't care how many times I fail. And what's funny when you've got this attitude, you realize that the results don't matter. It's our effort, what we bring to the equation. Because you know what? None of us are better off, and the world is not better off when you're dead, six foot underground, never have done that podcast, never have written that book. You know what? Even if you tried and failed, the world and your family and your life is better off for it. So don't die with your dreams is my message. Don't die with this seed of greatness in you, this hopes of what you like to do one day, never doing that. Because you don't know if you can run a marathon without ever trying. You don't know if you can build this incredible business or this, you'll, you'll never know if you can marry that girl or whatever, if you don't try at least. And there's, you know, two incredible things in there, which is one, when you said, you know, if you're running away from one, you're probably running away from a lot of them. Because, you know, you're only thinking about the one you're running away from. You're not thinking about all the other stuff. You're like, you know, just ducking and dodging in all directions. And then just like, you know, metaphorically to speak, showing up to the race, doing whatever that thing is. Because like you said, so many people out there are going to live and die and have lived and died without ever even showing up to see if they can do the thing they want to do. Like It's not about succeeding. You don't have to be the next best person to do it. You just have to try it. 
You just have to see if you like it to see if you want to do it, to see how many people out there are even giving it a shot. I think this is part of my bargaining and part of my pledge, which is I made a pledge and a bargain for my life again. And, uh, uh, the first time I bargained for my life, I, uh, you know, was that moment with the first brain tumor when I said, oh, God, enough is enough. I'm not going to live like that. So I've been living as a self-empowered individual for 17, 18 years, 13 years as a victim of my condition. The second bargaining happened when I said, God, like, you know, or to the doctor, mate, give me 10 more years of my kidney and I'll employ thousands of people. You know, I always feel like I have to bargain for my life and as a trade-off for having more life, I will need to do something noble for you know others, and since then I've employed eight thousand people. And this last one in two thousand and fourteen, uh, sixteen, with a tumor burst in my head, and uh, then a year later I'm back in the operating room to remove six cancers. I bargained for my life five days after the operation. I'm in the ICU ward because you know even though I'm bargaining to the doctor, it's really I'm using the doctor to go through to my own, you know. God, so to say. And, uh, and so I, I said to him, mate, you know, I wrote a book for my sons because I didn't know how long I'll get to live and I wanted them to know who their father was. But you know what? Ah, give me another 10 more years of my kidney life and I'll, I'll inspire millions. <laughs> so that's how it happened, to take my story publicly. And then I realized, well, I don't want to just share my story publicly. Like I wrote my book for my sons to know who their father was and I didn't want to. I didn't want to tell them how to live their lives or anything like that because I didn't want them to hate me from the grave. <laughs> and so, but then when I when I decided to take my story public, I didn't want to just share my story. I wanted to share my lessons, my distinctions. That's the millions of dollars losing and learning something there. I almost died there and gained massive transformation distinction. Oh, I almost died there. And I went from a $4 million house to a $60 million house. Oh, I almost died there. And I ended up, being a more authentic self. Oh, I almost died. Man, this happens sometimes. Well, and, you know, to, I think, take on that mindset to say, like, you know what, you know, like you said, bargaining, I'm going to do this next great thing. If I just have the time to do it, I'm going to, you know, start my business. I'm going to hire these people. I'm going to do more good. And then you have another incident and you're like, okay, instead of again, giving up, like, what if I do even more good? Like, what if I can take this even further? What if I can take it yeah. even more? Do I get more time? And I mean, you already had a diagnosis where they're like, yeah, you've got maybe 10 years, you know, like yeah, you'll, you'll be, I'll, you'll I'll, be I'll dead by, yeah, he'll be dead by 30. Does it give you some, like, I don't know, joy or just like righteous fury to be like, have way outlived that timeline? <laughs> Where you just like yeah, wake no, up no. every day, like yeah. 20 <laughs> oh years my past my expiration. I'm nailing it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, no. no. I, I happen to be alive with my hereditary condition, with my mortality um, uh, expectations aligning with science and the evolution of science and technology. So I'm in parallel. So right now I'm 50 and the, di and the life expectancy now has been extended to 52. I know what's going to happen as I get closer to 52. It's going to extend to 60 maybe. And so on, because with more drugs and keyhole surgery, MRIs and all these technologies, they help keep people with my hereditary condition, however rare, alive longer. And so now I don't even worry about that. I don't think about that. I don't give it any energy because that's why? Because that's outside of my control. That's God's business. That's not my business.
I focus on what I can control. And there's only two things in our lives that we can control. Our mindset, our, our attitude, so to say, and our actions. Nobody can do the actions for us but us. And nobody can think for us but us. So these are the two things in control of that we have in this life. So we must be a very good steward of our mind first and foremost because our mind at the moment is nothing more than brain patterns. How you perceive this bloody world of ours is just a perception, an interpretation that you have. But there's billions of us out there and we all have an interpretation that's freaking different. So that's one thing to be mindful too, that your brain is just patterns. So when I had that brain operation and learn neuroplasticity, and I had to rewire my whole left side of my body to learn how to use it again, I couldn't believe that. You mean we are just patterns? Like, like I had my son born a month after my brain operation, and I got to see him as a newborn walk and crawl and whatever, learn how to talk. And his development was the same pace as the left side of my body was developing the movement. Actually, he's overtaken me. He's now six and I'm still stuck at four. But anyway, uh, uh, but, but I learned these distinctions and I thought, oh, wow, if I, could, if I could learn new patterns to reuse my mind again, like when I picked up a pencil you'd cover from the left side of the table to the right and that knocked me out for 40 minutes or an hour and my occupational therapist was still there. When I woke up, I said, what the hell just happened? She goes, well, you've just formed a new synapsis. When you've done a new synapsis for the first time, your brain has a certain amount of energy. So it has to take the energy outside of other parts of your body to make this connection. And that's why you got knocked out. It must have came from your bowel or God knows where. And um, I, I connected the dots because I'm still fully alert and conscious, even though I've had a brain operation, I'm fully as sharp as normal. I just got affected in my, the part of the brain which controls mobility. And so I'm thinking, obviously, during this process, even though I'm, excuse my French, fucked, I'm thinking, I can't talk, I can't breathe properly, half my lung doesn't work. I'm, completely deaf in my right ear. My vision is double. I can't see. I turn the head, my head this way. My head turns. I'm, I'm, I've got so many adversities, but I'm still tripping out and thinking, yeah, I'm shattered. Yeah, I'm a broken man right now. But I'm also going, wow. You mean to form a new connection takes that much energy and does that? Oh, and from a new son, it takes that long to make a change in one's brain. I've got to see it. So getting to choose to go outside of your comfort zone, like you've, like you said, you had these opportunities every time this, your mortality comes into play, it clears out a lot of the junk and you're like, Oh, mm. you know what? I want to push forward into this. <clears throat> How do you go about getting outside of your comfort zone? Is there like a good metric to say, like, here's a good first step, try this. Mm. Or is it just like, you know, Go as far as you think you can. Just do the most extreme version of that. Uh, well, look, great question. So, look, the most uh, funny thing is our um, comfort zone are just, again, it's just our brain patterns. Our brain patterns are electrical signals, wires, synapses firing, and our brain wants to be as lazy as possible. And so, because our brain wants to be lazy to consume less energy, otherwise it's going to knock us out. Um, it just fires what it's used to. It's got these deep patterns, and it's easier to fire electrical things that have got deep grooves already in them, um, you know, chemical grooves. There's nothing hardwired, right? There's no hardwiring in our brain. 
It's all chemicals. So to break out of your comfort zone is to break free from the brain patterns you have defi- that have defined you. You have defined your own life, your own per- perception of life, your own perception of who you are. You are far greater than you think you are. You don't know it yet because you have pigeonholed your life. So breaking free from your own status quo, so to say, of how life is supposed to be is your interpretation of what life is supposed to be. To break free from that is to, one, be observant of when those automatic, stop being an automatic, basically. Stop being automatic with your brain. Observe how you automatically react to things of your thoughts and these inner voice that say something and you just respond and react in a certain way. You need to, you need to kind of observe that. Notice that that isn't necessarily so. You have to prove to yourself, to be you know, authentic to yourself, you have to prove to yourself first, okay, I think this way about life or this situation. Go boarding yourself in your knowledge. And then every time that thought comes back, you must take it on and say, that's bullshit to yourself. Challenge yourself. Challenge this pattern that's running. And you know what? The pattern, if you entertain it, will continue existing. If you start if you if you start breaking your pattern, you mean your thought, if you don't start responding, reacting to it all the time, you start challenging that, having on your phone some notes that if I think like this, I, I know better now that I know after doing some research and expanding my knowledge that that ain't necessarily so. Then you can fight with yourself. Be prepared to fight with yourself. That's how you can break free from this silly constraints, these limitations we place on ourselves because of our environments, our family, upbringings, whatever it is, our experiences. Oh, I failed there, so therefore I'm never going to succeed at that. Or, you know, I burnt myself here. I'm not going to cook anymore. I don't know. There's these stupid things that we just somehow pigeonhole ourselves in. Just know that they're just electrical pathways. That's all they are. Yeah, your brain's like, oh, this is... Yeah, it's too awkward to do something new when you're not good at it. We've seen you like, you know, you did that new thing in high school and you got ridiculed for it. Remember it? So don't ever do anything awkward again or don't ever do anything hard because it's so difficult. Like, it's so difficult. It's just so much easier to be lazy. And you're like, how about you fight that pattern by just making another pattern that just says, no, do it. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds easy. Thank God it is. That's it really is that easy. But obviously, it's not that easy to execute uh, because you will have that internal battle. You will have to confront your automatic state with mindfulness. If you can uh, address mindfulness and and observe these things, just slow things down. Stop being in a rush. Stop running from one thing to another. Stop being influencing and change in all these different directions. Stop chasing your tail. Just slow down a little bit. I know our life these days is so crazy. We get inspired and, and we get pulled in so many different directions. But we need to sometimes slow down and we need to get to the truth of our existence. We ain't alive forever. And we must slow down to recognize that and we must then therefore recognize that at the end of the day, what most matters most is what's very true to us, what's true for us, not what's best for my, my, my interpretation of what I think my family want or what, what this society want or this market wants or my school or my community or my friends or what do I want out of life? 
What do I want? What am I all about? Who am I? You got to address these questions. And you need to just embrace these little glimpses you get because, you know, if we could all tap, if we could all become this vessel to, to have this incredible energy and wisdom come through us, we cannot be that vessel if we are always insecure and doubtful and not, re not reacting to what drives us energy. What feeds us energy is the ultimate clue. And it all happens subconsciously too. So if you sense something, if you feel something and you gain energy from that, do not ignore it. Feed it. See how much more energy it can give you. And then feed it more and more and more. And then next thing you know, before you know it, you're driven like crazy. <laughs> yeah, it all bleeds into this like finding purpose. You know, I think so many of us look around and we're like, I see so many people succeeding. They found that thing they love, that thing they want to do. You know, we see people like yourself and we're like, oh man, how do I, how do I get to this place? What is my purpose? Mm. And it feels like there is, like you said, there's so much noise to compete. You know, it's easier to quit. It's easier to be lazy. It's easier to, to, you know, acknowledge like, oh, I'm not as good as this other person. Yeah. And it feels like that makes it so hard to figure out what your purpose is supposed to be because, yeah. you know, you're like, oh yeah, this makes me feel good. And then your brain immediately is like, yeah, but look at the people who do it better or look <laughs> at the people who do it, you know, a different way than you, like, that's not how you do it. So maybe you're doing it wrong. You know, is it like, does it seem like it's semi necessary to have that pressure of like, your life is on the line. You have to figure this out. To make it, it felt it, it felt like it for me. To me, actually, I, um, I I'll share some tips that I could give people. But you know, for me, it was I did, when I was diagnosed at nineteen. I didn't understand. And I was told that I'll be dead by thirty. I didn't understand why. Like I, at the beginning, I was just an angry young man. Yeah, I just hated everything. I was, you know, I was I was upset with everyone in the world and myself and everything. Um, but after a while when I got tired of being upset, uh, I realized, well, why is it still important for me to, to, to have a, a sense of purpose? Uh, uh, to, why is it important? Why is having a career still important? I'm going to be dead at 30. Why, why am I thinking about a career? I didn't understand why. And that was this need to have uh, a sense of purpose and meaning in my life. I still wanted to, to matter. I wanted my life to matter and count in some way. I didn't want to just be alive and be dead and never haven't been known, never even known that I'd ever be existed. I didn't want to just disappear. And I think none of us want to live our whole entire lives where nobody knew that we even lived here. <laughs> that hurts. And so I realized that for me to have a meaning and us to have a meaningful impact in this world, to make our lives matter and count in some way, is to discover something in us that that inspires us more than some, uh, somebody else would to do something about something for others. What is it that we would have an interest in to, to care more than somebody else would about for others? What is it that we are willing to do for others, not just ourselves, for others, that others, people, who cares if I'm doing it any better or worse than others? I'm not comparing myself to other people. I'm just saying, what could I do for others that I care to give a shit about more than others? And let me do something about it. Let me apply myself. Let me bring my whole self into the equation. Let me care more 
let me create and do something that I believe will add value to someone. That's your purpose. But you won't, you won't know it's your purpose at the beginning because you've got to do it over time. And then I've always discovered my purpose when I look back. I go, you see, when I decided to be an entrepreneur at 25, I thought that's my purpose. No, that's just, just my job. That's just my career. But my purpose was when I look back and I realize, wow, I've been employing and, and recruiting and hiring people for so long. And I realize this is my purpose. My purpose is to hire and employ people, which is what I've been doing. And to find the right fit for the employer, not just hiring a Filipino staff that's cheap. I specialize in finding Filipino staff that are really awesome team members for your business, that are a real good fit to your behavioral tendencies that you would love to have on your team, regardless of how they are. That's my business. But that's not the only purpose. Just because you have one purpose, that doesn't mean that's the only purpose. That's, that is my purpose, and this really is my life purpose. But I've also bargained for my life, and now my other purpose is to inspire. I want to inspire because I believe inspiring helps break the mold that people make in the, about themselves. I want to empower people to understand that there is this incredible power in us. And that is based on this journey of removing layers and layers of these limiting beliefs and, and assumptions we make on how we perceive ourselves in the world. It ain't so. Yeah. It's all by choice. Ridiculous. Well, and there is this like, you know, in finding our purpose, I think a lot of people are chasing that, like the immortality project where they're like, this is the thing that'll put my name, you know, on a building forever. And you're like, it's not about having your name on a building. You know, you've chosen like your, your version of that is through service to other people is you're like, if I can impact thousands of lives, like it might not be my name on a building but there are now thousands and thousands of people or, you know, if you inspire, like going into millions of people who are impacted because of me, even if they don't remember like me specifically, they don't remember my name. They can't spell it correctly, whatever it is. Like they still are better because of me. Like I'm making the world 1% better. I'm trying to do some kind of positive change. Awesome. And that's all it is. So we've all got that capability. Because we, as individuals, see the funny thing, every time I almost die and I come back to life, I have to rebuild my life time and time again. I have to reevaluate. Oh, I was dead. Oh, I thought I was dead. I'm back. Okay. Everything's now on the table again. All my assumptions, all my beliefs, everything, my hopes and dreams, what outlook on life, who I am, what I'm all about, all of it's up for grabs. Everything gets reevaluated again and again and again. And when I go through this process, I'm always getting more to the core of who I truly am. And every time I get to the core of truly who I am, the more powerful I am, the more driven I am, the more energy I have. It's incredible. And this is true for all of us. So, um, you know, that, that effort about making that impact here and there, even like right now, even though I am gonna be uh, committed to inspiring as many people as I possibly can, to live a much more empowered life. Know this, that even if I don't achieve it, it doesn't matter because I've got a chance to inspire this one person. Let's not, discon- not dis- devalue that one or that one person I employed and transformed that family or that one person I helped that business grow because they got that right resource they finally can afford and need. Like all of these elements has a compounding effect. I mean, it certainly does. And, 
you know, you're coming from a perspective of a guy who's had to, like you said, rebuild yourself after every one of these experiences. And unfortunately you're like, I don't even get a pattern to work on. You're like, had a brain surgery. Okay. Now I know somewhat of how I have to recover. Like I've learned, you know, forming new pathways and new, you know, relearning how to move and how to act and how to do all these things. You're like, great. Now, if I have to do that again, I understand some of these lessons and then you're like, oh yeah, now I have cancer. Like, well, that's, a, that's an entirely different rebuild process. I now have to go through. Every one of these experiences have been fascinating because at the, at the darkest time of my life, I'm, I'm never getting this one moment. I'm in a pool. I'm learning. I'm, 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 uh, nine months into my rehabilitation. So I'm still in the pool learning how to control my walk and my movements and all this stuff. And now I have to confront cancer, six fast growing cancers. Who would have thought they'd been in bed for three months, couldn't move because I've got a brain operation. You know, I became a diabetic being in a bed. And I grew cancers like wildfire, you know, fertile ground in my body being in bed. So here I am with this diagnosis. I never forget it. The doctor said, well, Chris, You've got these fast-growing cancers. Normally, for your hereditary condition, they grow at four millimeters a year. Yours have just shot up. You've got four, four centimeter tumors that came out of nowhere. Uh, three centimeters here, two, whatever. You've got six of them. You've got a, you, you, we're going to have an operating, we're going to operate your, 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 your kidney with robotic surgery so that we can remove all these six straight away and have your kidney without uh, blood flow at as little amount of time as possible so that we can re put the blood flow back and have a higher chance of your kidneys surviving. But Chris, we don't know if your kidney is going to survive because this is the second time you're having cancers removed from your kidney, your left kidney. Oh, and, and because your cancers grew so fast, we don't know if you're going to have to have a cancer battle ahead of you. Oh, and whether you're going to wake up from the operation and be on dialysis. Dude, that was my, that's what their projection. So I'm in this pool and I remember recovering in the jacuzzi going, thinking about this, thinking about this. And I had, I had that uh, Keisha song playing in the background, playing over and over, just over and over. For three weeks, by the way, three weeks over and over before my kidney operation, over and over, and I'm like, and I'm like, I can't believe I just spent eight months learning how to walk and talk, and I'm, and now I'm about to die again. <laughs> what? And, and that was when I had one of my most powerful transformations. I realized that, excuse my French, but no one knows the damn future. No one knows the future. No one has ever known the future. They're all just predictions they're all just best guesses so my doctor who i have the highest respect for is a mathematician scientist doctor these are his calculated odds he's given me it ain't the future and that's when i realized something if i am putting this doom and gloom and this horrible outlook for my life which is a possible reality then why do I have to be so invested in that? Why can't I be just equally as invested in daring to hope that perhaps the best is yet to come out of me? That perhaps I am going to have the best part of my life ahead of me. Why does it have to be this doom and gloom? Wow, was that a transformation? When I did, it took me three weeks to make that transition of, of letting go of this doom and gloom prediction to just accepting that, no, I choose to believe in my future. I choose to accept 
this type of future that I created instead of what he's creating. And that transformation helped me go from a $4 million house to a $16 million house, 18 months, sorry, eight months later. It helped me double my business a year and a half later. I'm living my best life. And now here I am in America, publishing a book, starting another business. Come on. Yeah. Six years later. And you're like, what is, what is the doom and gloom doing for me? You're like, what's the actual service here? And then you're like, okay, so it doesn't do anything for me other than make me feel bad. And it probably slows down your productivity, if we're honest, just because you're like, when you feel bad, you work slower. And then you look at the other side and you're like, okay, so I could hope for things and I could be positive and I could embrace the better outcome. And how does this harm me? And you're like, I guess if I'm wrong, I'm wrong and it doesn't matter in the end. So there's nothing wrong with it. So I'm just going to go that, like, that's the path that I'm it. just going to follow. That was it. And that, that's what all of us need to do. We all need to look at these assumptions we hold about our future. If you're not excited about the assumptions you hold about your, your own future, then you just got to understand something. You don't fucking know your future. So don't hope, put your hopes on a future that looks doomy and gloomy. Put your hopes and energy on a future that's exciting. You don't know any better anyway. But you're better off being as a self-empowered individual moving forward in future than as a victim of your circumstances kind of future. Yeah. And to some extent, you're just like, you know what? This thing is just like, you're like, oh, now I have this, this cancer diagnosis. You're like, you know, this is kind of getting in the way of what I'm doing. You're like, I have, I have so many things I need to be working on right now. At some point, are you just like, you embrace the better outcome? Like it's going to be fine. And then it just becomes irritating that you're like, why is this always something slowing me down? <laughs> no, I don't see that that way. Um, so, so when I had the second brain tumors uh, and I had to kill my real estate portal, it was like when I killed it, it was like a shoulder, like a stone off my back because I knew it wasn't my purpose. I knew it, I was only doing it for the money. And the moment I had to confront my mortality, none of it mattered. I dropped it straight away and I didn't care. That's when I knew I wasn't working on something important. You see, if something's truly important for you, it's going to matter for you whether you're alive or dead. It still matters. Why should something not matter for you if you're dead? Yeah, you're not here biologically, physically to represent it or do something about it. But I'm telling you something. Every time I've crossed the other side of the line, how come I'm still fucking there? How come I'm still consciously aware? But I've got no physical presence, but I am ignited in this awareness that's somehow so interconnected. I'm present still. I'm just present in a dark black void, which I don't understand, but I am. So therefore, I realize that what matters to us in our lives, when we, we've got to understand what truly matters for us now while we're here and to do something about it now while we're here because it's still going to matter for us even when we pass. Well, you think if you have children, they're not going to be important for you when you pass away? Trust me, you're still going to think about them if we truly exist in some shape, way, or form outside there. So that's why now I don't care how long I have to live. I don't care about whether I'm here or not to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Who cares? Because I'm more driven and more focused on what I'm trying to do, who I'm trying to serve, who I'm trying to make a difference to, what I'm all about. I want to look after my family. I want to look after the people and interests that I have. I don't want to, I don't want to 
all of a sudden die and you know, sabotage all my clients and staff that depend their livelihoods on me and all this stuff. If I die all of a sudden, I don't want to leave this world without ever imparting these incredible lessons that have transformed my own life and thousands of others. I want to be able to transform as many people as I possibly can. If I'm, if I'm blessed of all these multiple second chances of life, I want to be worthy of them. And I can't be worthy of them by buying my next Porsche. <laughs> or the other. Look, there's nothing wrong with these toys. It's just that I'm not about that anymore. I'm much more about this next quest in my life. I'm also at a different stage of my life, okay? I'm 50. I've gone through many lives and dreams. I've lived the digital nomad lifestyle before the digital nomad thing became a thing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, life. Thank you to my adversities. I've succeeded because of my adversities. It was that always jolted me out of things that wasn't the right path for me. Each adversity that we confront and overcome and bounce back from, we bounce back stronger. We really do. As they say, if what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's true because it's true. This isn't just unique to me. This happens to millions of people. Why do so many people transform after near-death experiences? It's because of what I just said. You can't return back to who you were because now everything has had to be reevaluated. And you got to this experience of adversity has taught you to view what's truly most important in your life without all the other fluff around it. Fluff gets in the way. What's the fluff? Limiting beliefs, negativity. I can't do this or I can't do that or they think about this or they have these things or I'm comparing myself to this or that's the fluff. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. You've got limited energy. You've got limited brain power that can be focused and active that, that control your actions. So don't waste this energy on negativity and all these stuff that's outside of your control. Focus on what's on your control, your thoughts, your actions, and focus on your interests. Know what's your biggest desires and do something about it. And there's a really interesting, you know, lesson that you kind of got through there. And, you know, along with that is if things have fallen apart, like you have to reassemble your life in some way, if you are still looking for that purpose and you look back, even if you haven't had a near-death experience, your life's not in total shambles. If you're just listening and you're wondering about your purpose, you know, like Chris said, look backwards because things are clearer when you're looking back on them. What's the thing you miss? Like, was there something you did in your life in there that you're like, wow, I really missed that thing like that, mm. like that was so important to me. And I, now that I think about it and I don't have it, I want it again. Like maybe that's part of your purpose. You just couldn't see it. Like you, you were doing it for a long time and you didn't see that it was because you weren't looking at it, you know, without, if it's gone, what if this thing you enjoy is gone? Like now do you feel more empty? Like then maybe that's something you're supposed to be doing. That's yeah, it. maybe it, so it doesn't... it's what it what gives you energy. Yeah. So if you're serving others and you do and, and your work and your toil is contributing to others in some way, entertainment, education, uh, employment, whatever it is, and that gives you energy by you doing that for others, it's your purpose. Exactly. I think that's a great lesson to leave people on, something to give them, you know, pause and think about as they go off into their day. I have appreciated having you on the show so much. It's really meant a lot. I've appreciated your time immensely. I wanted to give you some time to kind of tell people where to find you if they're looking for more of you after hearing this. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I mean, they can go to 
uh, I'm about to re, re, revamp my website, chrisjankalowski.com, <laughs> or near-death lessons, like near-death experience, but near-deathlessons.com is also a place where you can find me. Or on Amazon, you just type near-death lessons, you'll find me all around there. Fantastic. And don't worry about uh, having to spell or do any of those things. Those uh, websites will be in the show notes. So if you just scroll up into the notes, you can just find a quick link to go to those things. And if you do find this book on Amazon, you buy it, you love it. I mean, it's an incredible read, like leave a good review for it because that helps other people find it. And it supports the people who are creating things that you're enjoying. And also I really appreciate reviews because I learned so much in how uh, my story impacted their lives. I, I love it. So I'm, I'm really honored to get the 4.8 stars <laughs> on Amazon. It means a lot. Uh, every one of these reviews I read and I wish there was a way that I could comment back. Uh, I haven't figured that out, but because uh, I, I do want to, I do care about other people, and I want to, I want to be able to impact other people's lives. So I appreciate the review. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks, Mike, for having me on. Well, if that doesn't motivate you in some way, I'm not sure what will. Chris was a great guest and genuinely a cool guy to talk with. So I hope you all enjoyed it as well. It's the first days of June, and things are already pretty mixed up in the rankings. Number one, the United States, with Texas, Arizona, and Wyoming as top states. Number two, Hungary. Wow. I mean, what a rocket to the top. Not only welcome to the top five, but to the top two. Number three, Canada, tied with the United Kingdom. And it's been a while since we've had a tie, so this is exciting. And lastly, at number five is Australia, led by New South Wales, but almost beaten entirely by Norway. That's it for today. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you all back here for the next episode. Until then, please do all the good stuff for the show, like rating, reviewing, liking, and subscribing. Remember dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or on any of the social media platforms if you want to reach me. But most importantly, stay dumb.